173 years on, I'm not sure there's been a more important time for the church to stand together. We're facing choppy waters in the next 10 years. It's not going to be, it doesn't make it impossible, but it's a challenging time. We need to stand together. And the Evangelical Alliance is the largest and oldest unity organization seeking to represent, stand for, and bring together the two million evangelicals in the UK. People say to me, what's an evangelical? That's quite easy. We believe the Bible is the inspired word of God. Stop messing around with the Bible to accommodate your culture and start changing your culture with the truth and the word of God. We believe that the death and resurrection of Jesus is the single most important thing in human history. And we believe in the need for conversion. So many of my friends seem to think you come to faith by osmosis. You don't. You get on your knees and you meet your saviour. And we believe in being active in the world, making the world more like the kingdom. That's why evangelicals led the abolition of the slave trade in the United Kingdom. Evangelicals provided education before anyone else. And in the last 20 years, evangelicals have had the vision for and delivered Christians against poverty, food banks, street pastors, to make the world more like the kingdom. And the Evangelical Alliance is made up of 4,000 churches like this one that are members. It's made up of 700 organizations, things like Youth for Christ, CAP, Spring Harvest, and made up of tens of thousands of individuals who say we will be members so that we can stand together to make Jesus known and to influence our society on behalf of the gospel. And increasingly, the individual membership is becoming more important than anything else. Because in our culture, there's a real disdain towards um, institutions. There's a real distrust towards institutions. And as we work in Parliament and things in particular, people are constantly asking, well, how many individuals are actually standing with you? And if anyone ever wanted to know, well, why even bother? What difference does something like the EA make? I'll give you one tangible example. Because I'll be honest, most of what we do for the church, we can't talk about until it's done. That's the reality. It's a lot of it's in the powers that be. But one thing we can talk about, because it's done for now, is two and a half years ago, the government said they wanted to offstead all youth work and Sunday schools in churches. It's a very bizarre move. Public regulation of private religion. As far as I was aware, I still lived in the United Kingdom, not North Korea. But anyway, we worked for two and a half years on the church's behalf in Parliament and things, and for now it's been kicked out. For now it won't happen at least, and we'll keep working on those things. But without an evangelical alliance standing together, I'm not sure that would have been kicked out, let's be honest. That's why, we need to, that's why I unashamedly ask you this morning whether you would consider becoming a personal member of the EA. It's not a fundraising thing. It only costs a cup of coffee a month, £3 a month to be a member of the EA. But it means you give us your voice, but it also means you stand with thousands of others who seek to make Jesus known in our day. And there's a, there's a tick box at the back on the form where you can tick individual or couple. If you're married, just tick the couple. Don't even check with your spouse. Just tick the couple. Because then that, that counts as two. I've got, uh, and then I'm on the table at the back. Uh, you might say you sound like Dale Boy. Fair play. I'm from Peckham originally. But there's a couple of resources on that table you can take regardless of whether you want to be a member or not. First is this. Speak up. This is the antidote to the newspaper you might read. The newspaper you might read might say you can't wear a cross to work. It's not true. It's just not true. You can't wear a cross the size of your torso to work. That's a health and safety problem. The newspaper you read might say you can't pray at work. It's not true. You can't take advantage of power relationships in the workplace. We'd had enough at EA of Christians getting their understanding of what they could or couldn't do from the media. We need to get it from the law. So we got together the Lawyers Christian Fellowship and did a short 16-page document of your legal freedoms to share the gospel in the UK. Do you know you've got more freedom in the UK to share the gospel than just about any country on the planet? But here's the thing, use those freedoms or lose them. If you don't use them, your children and your children's children will not have them. 
There's a growing chill factor towards Christianity that will slowly erode at our freedoms. But if we use them, we won't lose them. So we printed 5,000, thinking it'd last a year. We're well past 90,000 of these. We launched it in the House of Commons. I did one or two seven-minute talks. I proper gave it some. Just preached the gospel, right? Afterwards, a member of the cabinet said to me, I've not heard the gospel preached in the house for many years. I said, invite me back, I'll do it again. <laughs> he says, why? I said, says I can in here. We need to know our freedoms. <laughs> Secondly, I used to work for Youth for Christ for 14 years. Youth work's amazing, isn't it? You know, if you've got a hole in the church roof, just stick a bucket under it. Don't stop pouring resources into kids. But I loved my time at Youth for Christ. But then I joined the Evangelical Alliance and was going around the country getting everyone excited about reaching people with the gospel, but not giving them any tools. So we've produced a one-stop evangelism hub called greatcommission.co.uk, which ironically I've got a leaflet about a website. But the idea was to put everything that was good for reaching people in one place. You know, when I worked at Youth for Christ, the answer to anything on young people had to involve three words, Youth for Christ. When you work for the EA representing everyone, you can put it all in one place. So on this hub, every Monday morning at nine in the morning, we release a video of someone who's come to faith in the UK. Why? Any philosopher will tell you, if you want to change culture, you tell a different story. We've got to tell the Jesus story. God is moving powerfully. You know, I've seen more adults come to faith in the last term than I saw young people in any one of the terms I was at Youth for Christ. God's moving. We need to tell the story. Don't let the world tell us this stuff doesn't work. The gospel works and changes lives. Secondly, there's a blog section with all kinds of different authors writing things on um, reaching your mates for Jesus, um, having hobbies outside of the church, all kinds of things to, to help us make a difference for the gospel. Then there's a prayer section because we overestimate our activities and underestimate our prayers. If we get serious about reaching people, start praying more. Then there's an act section where there's over 250 resources on the site. You search for who you want to reach, Muslims, millennials, young people, old people, not sure what people, and it will come up with all the things that are good on reaching those people. It's the only website in the world where you search for small group material and bang, alpha next to Christianity Explored. Why? With an EA, we're broader than one. And so the idea is to serve the church in that way. Then the final piece we're doing with this is saying, where's the church doing activity that's not as missional as it could be? And the biggest one we're working on first is toddler groups. Most toddler groups are in the church. But most church-based toddler groups don't do anything about Jesus in them. We surveyed 300. Most of them sing songs about the wheels on the bus, not the wise man building his house on the rock. Tell stories about bear hunts, not the feeling of the 5,000. We asked why. Number one answer, we don't offend anyone. I think that's absolutely ludicrous. If you go to the car phone warehouse and they talk to you about a mobile phone, you don't leave offended. <laughs> if people come into church, we can talk about Jesus. So we're helping produce some really evangelistic material for toddler groups. Two reasons. One, get to the toddlers. But two, the biblical literacy of the carers is the same as the toddler. It's not patronizing if taught through the toddler to them. So happy days. Win-win. All I'll say finally before I move on to what I'm actually here to do. If you join EA today, I want to give you three presents. Why? Because I like you. Why else? Frankly, I'm desperate for more and more evangelicals to stand together. So I'll do anything. <laughs> Apart from I won't dance. So here's the three things that I'd love to give you today if you want to sign up. First is Game Changers. My wife Anne and I wrote this a few years ago. This is a brand new edition of this. It's about how Moses encounters God at the burning bush and has the confidence to take on his landscape for Jesus. How might we see our landscape utterly transformed for the kingdom? I'd love to give you one of those. If you don't like reading, TBN, Freeview Channel 65, Thursday nights, half nine, we do it on the telly. Second one, Unity for a Purpose. Seven sessions for group or individual study 
about how can we be united that the world might know hope. Hope as a name. His name is Jesus. I'd love to give you that. And finally, this is the one you're going to want, by the way. I'd like to give you an EA key ring. Now, the reason you want this is very simple. It's got the EA logo on here, but the reason you want this is that this bit's detachable, and this becomes the pound for your trolley <laughs> when you forgot it. It also becomes the pound for your locker, or whenever you need a pound to go in something and you forgot it, here you go. It's got our logo on. All I ask is every time you stick it in a trolley, pray for Christian unity, pray for the gospel to explode, and pray for the culture to listen to the church. Let's pray, shall we? Lord, I thank you for this chance to be together in your house. And we just pray, as we turn to your word now, that you would speak to us. Lord, whether it's through me or in spite of me, we hope that you would speak to us today. And Lord, I just pray as well, we'd have fun. It seems so crazy your people would come together and not have fun. I pray we'd really have fun this morning. And I pray you'd open our eyes, our ears and our hearts to what you want us to hear. Amen. Um, recently, my wife Anne and I were invited to go for dinner with this couple that, that with respect, are quite loaded and uh, do the food nice. So I realised I had to go shopping at a supermarket I don't normally go to for a bottle of wine. So I went to Waitrose. And um, I went to Waitrose and I went to the half price section because let's be honest, <laughs> I might be in Waitrose but I still need a bargain. I work for a charity. So we went to the half price section and there was this incredible bottle of wine. 20 quid down to a tenner. Happy days. I went to go and buy it from the cashier and I'm there at the till. Now to put this in context, I'm using an American Express credit card with my correct salutation on which is reverend. And I'm doing this to buy an expensive bottle of red wine in Waitrose. As I'm doing this, the guy says to me, um, Really sorry, sir. Have you got any identification? I'm 39. Now, I'm also thinking underage drinkers don't tend to go to Waitrose and buy that kind of thing. It's not like I was buying a bottle of white lightning, is it? Anyway, it's a different issue, but completely misunderstands that context. Then the next afternoon, my daughter knows nothing of this. My daughter's 12. We're sat in the dining room. My daughter, Amelie, says, I'm not being rude, Dad, but you know that's always going to end bad, didn't you? I'm not being rude, Dad, but... It must be really scary being as old as you. Because, <laughs> like, you could die at any moment. Now, I'm not sure that either of these perceptions of my age are anywhere near reality. But when we misunderstand the situation, we miss the point. That's basically what today's Bible passage is about. The disciples are so slow to grasp what it's all about. Whilst Jesus is sharing that he'll become nothing on the cross to save us, They're squabbling about the glory they deserve for their own meaningless, petty sacrifices. This is the account of Mark, but Matthew's account makes the disciples look even more pathetic. And the other disciples outside of James and John, they're indignant. Not because of what James and John are asking for, but because they feel their own sacrifices aren't being noticed. This is a really, really bad moment for the disciples. And we are not mostly as crass as as the disciples in jockeying for position and saying, look at me, I've been so brilliant for Jesus, I deserve so much. But we do often fail to understand what it means when the Lord gave his life as a ransom for many in verse 45 here. We we seem to think that that sometimes what we're doing is, is about our own positioning and aren't we good and isn't it important and doesn't God owe us one? When actually, Jesus makes it clear here that discipleship is about self-giving, self-denying, self-risking for the redemption of the world. And 
I just think it's really important to us as a church that we start realizing that what really matters is what Jesus has done for us and for everyone else. We need to make the main thing the main thing again. We need to stop leaving witnessing and evangelism to professionals. I'm going to talk more about that tonight, but evangelism is not a profession. Spurgeon says every single Christian is a witness or an imposter. So we can use the W word instead of the E one if you prefer. But we're all called to witnessing. If you know and love Jesus, you're called to witnessing. And, and the problem is as well, is the people like me that, that give it some, right? We can be a bit much for some people. It's even possible I can put people off. I, I see every opportunity with a non-Christian as an opportunity to talk about Jesus. And, and every, every sort of six months or so, I say to the Lord, Lord, show me what I can start doing that makes me scared again. Because I'm weird. But also, I want to help people reach others with the gospel. And I know that's scary, but when you do it all the time, you get used to it. So I need to be scared again. So the most recent habit I've started doing, every time I go out for a meal, whether for my job or for pleasure, or the two can be the same, I realized that I was thanking God for the food, but someone was bringing the food and they didn't realize what I was doing. So I've started asking the waiter or the waitress every time, man, I work for the church and I'm going to thank God for my food. What could I pray for for you today? That's really scary when you start doing that. Only once have they said, absolutely nothing, I'm an atheist, but I couldn't respect you more for asking. But I've prayed for backs, I've prayed for pregnancies, I've prayed for all kinds of things. There's been a massive plus side to it too, I've saved loads of money. (laughs) Because my children no longer like going out for meals. (laughs) But we as the people of God are called to make the main thing the main thing again. To go out on a limb and, and, and be dangerous in our witnessing. The person who's, who's most impacted me with their, their witnessing in the last decade was my dear old nan who died a couple of years ago. Until two weeks before she died, she ran Alpha in her old people's home. That's really dangerous, isn't it? That's not like running it in your town where you lock yourself away in your house. You go to dinner, it's with all the people you're running Alpha with. It's all kind of completely incarnational. I remember her ringing me, and this last time we talked about her alpha before she died. She said, Gavin, I just don't understand why the old dears won't give their lives to Jesus. Thinking, Grandma, you're 92, but anyway, I won't do with that. She says, why not take a chance? They're going to meet him soon. But, you know, the rest of my life, I want to live like that. I want to be a disciple who's, who's looking to reach others, not looking to get some sort of crown now for all I'm doing for Jesus. You know, and I want to raise the bar on what it means to be a follower of Jesus. You know, enough of us sort of saying, where's the line? How can we be as naughty as we want with, and get away with it? Where's holiness? How do we be distinct? Where's salt? How does salt bring flavor into our increasingly morally bankrupt society? How does light shine light into darkness? How does our attention to the word of God and our prayer lives become more important than our pension plans and our hobbies? And it's time for a different type of discipleship that points to the greatness of God. Jesus makes it so clear to his disciples. You have got it back to front. The first shall be last and the last shall be first. Now, equally, we've got to go a bit easy on the disciples. They get a hard time, don't they? According to the late John Stott, the disciples were aged 15 to 22. When Jesus wanted to change the world, he didn't start an elder board, he started a youth group. Can you imagine if your teenage years were in the Bible? I feel a bit sorry for the disciples. But nonetheless, they've got it totally wrong. And they're being corrected here by their king. And Jesus makes two things totally central. 
First is this. He makes it clear there's a clear message. There's a clear message. I don't need to go on too much about this because I have been delighted driving into Skipton this morning. Three different churches. Hashtag, do you know him on the banner outside the front? I'm like, happy days. Why am I even here? It's brilliant, you know, because those of us that know him need to know him better. But those who don't yet know him need to get to know him. And the church needs to work together to do this. But Jesus uses two of the most offensive words in the Roman Empire to talk about what the disciples need to do and to convince them they don't need a reward, they need a ransom. The first is this, the Greek word lutron or ransom price. In verse 45, it refers to the cost made to free a slave, a criminal hostage or a prisoner of war who had no hope of survival unless a friend would pay. That's what this word refers to. It's, it's for someone who's basically lost all of their freedom and all of their life unless someone else will be brave enough to pay that ransom. Jesus tells the disciples he's about to take the punishment they deserve for their sin. Stop going on about what you think you're entitled to and realize I'm about to give myself and my life that you would be liberated. I am lutroning myself for your freedom. Isn't that wonderful? But the problem is, I think quite a lot of the church got bored of the gospel. We talk about all kinds of other stuff. We do all kinds of other things. But actually, we need to keep the main thing the main thing. The gospel of Jesus is amazing. You know, I pray every day, Lord, make me infectious for you today. Remind me what I'm saved from. Make me dangerous. Make me like a new Christian who hasn't yet realized we're only supposed to talk about Jesus in church. Because the gospel's incredible, isn't it? Jesus, who is God, because of our brokenness and our sin, Jesus, who is God, comes from highest heaven to lowest earth. That in itself is remarkable. He starts his ministry in the Jordan Valley. Literally goes from the highest to the lowest. The Jordan Valley is the lowest place on earth. Because from the highest to the lowest, that the lowest might go to the highest. It's unbelievable stuff. But the God who threw the stars into space becomes a baby for you and me. Do you not think that's outrageous? You know, I, 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 I was going to say I've had two babies. I clearly haven't. I've, um, I've played a supporting role in the production of two babies. But when you first have babies, they don't do anything. Well, they don't do anything you want them to, eh? The king of the world who threw the stars into space becomes a baby. That's incredible. Then he grows into a man, giving food to the hungry, health to the sick, life to the dead. Dies upon a cross, taking every wrong thing upon himself. You've ever done, ever would do, ever could do, ever might do. That you needn't be punished, but could know life in all its fullness now. Liberation from your brokenness and life in all its fullness forever. It's just brilliant. And they throw him in a grave and three days later they go to the grave and the grave is empty because Jesus is alive. For 2,000 years every cynic in the world has looked for the body. There is no body because Jesus lives. You know, they put him in Joseph Arimathea's tomb. Joseph Arimathea was little. Jesus was tall. So if you go to the garden tomb, there's a bit by the feet that's dug out really quick to fit Jesus in. Personally, I think this is very short-sighted on behalf of the people involved in those choices. Home improvements should only be done for the long term, not for three nights. But he doesn't need his tomb anymore because Jesus is alive. Why are Christians bored of that? And if we're not bored of it, why don't we talk about it? And how do we get more infectious with it? Because the message of hope changes everything. And you know what? The gospel works. It really works. I, uh, when I was at YFC, I used to preach in young offenders institutes a lot. Now, I loved it, but at the same time, you never knew if it actually had gone well or not. Because when you go to a young offenders institute, the lads are given an hour out of their cell if they go to chapel. So they all go. 
but they get 15 minutes more out of their cell if they make a response at the end. <laughs> so they all respond every week. Honestly, if you don't think you've got a gift for preaching, go into a Young Offenders Institute, you will feel like Billy Graham. <laughs> I used to go in and do this, and it was fun, but you're never sure quite what impact it's had till I was preaching at Teddington Baptist a few months ago. And this mum comes up to me and says, um, thank you so much, thank you so very much. I was like, oh, it's a pleasure, I've loved being here. I said, no, not for this morning, that was bang average. She <laughs> says, thank you for 10 years ago when you went and preached in Felton and my son who was in there gave his life to Jesus. I'm like, wow. She says, and he's just going back in now, 10 years on, as a member of the chaplaincy team to help kids in prison meet Jesus. The gospel works, doesn't it? It gets hold of a life. It changes a life. It transforms a life. Nothing's the same. You know, I was at a church in Bedford and the service was three and a half hours long and it was brilliant because there were five baptisms and they did the testimonies and, and as these went on, I just thought, I've got nothing to offer this congregation this morning that trumps everything said by these people because they had these five different people. First person to come up was a lady from Ghana. She'd come to the UK to study Never been a Christian, met Jesus powerfully in the church. Then this uh, guy from Southern Ireland uh, gave his testimony. He was a, a Catholic in Southern Ireland. He came to this church and he got slain in the spirit. Gave his life to Jesus while he was out on the floor. Third person was a lady who went to see her bank manager to get declared bankrupt. And didn't realise he was a Christian. And he led her to Jesus. Then found a way around her not having to be bankrupt. But that's for another day. Then this lad who'd come over from Peru to study got up and gave his testimony. He'd come over, no Christian background. He'd met someone from the church who was in the worship band who'd found out this lad from Peru played the guitar. So this lad started playing in a worship band with no understanding of who Jesus is. There was a slightly complicated and awkward Sunday one week when halfway through the worship he walks out of the band and responds to a gospel appeal. But you know what? Isn't that fun? And if you think that's wrong, you tell me later when the disciples became Christians. Anyway, different issue. Then finally, this guy Pete gets up. Now, this just floored me. Pete's homeless. And uh, the church has a really vibrant homeless ministry. And he'd given his life to Jesus through this. And he's giving his testimony. But he says in front of the church, he says, but, but I'm a bit disappointed at you all trying to stop me being homeless. Do invite me for dinner. But don't give me a bed. Because God's called me to reach my people and how is anyone else going to reach the homeless more effectively than I can? So help me not be hungry, but don't give me a home. And I'm like, wow! Jesus lutroned himself for you and me, but also for everyone else who doesn't yet know. The message is so clear. Let's keep our Christianity simple. There's a clear message, but secondly, there's a huge cost. There's a huge cost. The second Greek word used is doulos, or slave it's used in verse 44. Jesus tells the disciples that the sacrifices we make for his kingdom are just part of it. I mean, this is a bit of tough love from the youth worker, isn't it? Yeah. Basically, get over yourselves. Every sacrifice you make and the many more you're going to make. And in the future, some of you are going to be dipped in pitch and made as human candles. You know what? It's just normal. When you look around the world, everywhere the church is exploding, there's pain. But there's a huge cost to following Jesus. And we've got to take that cost. We may be persecuted, despised. Some of us may die. This is normal Christianity. And we in the West, we've got to stop feeling sorry for ourselves. I've heard too many Christians in this country use words like persecuted word for Christians in this country. Honestly, persecuted? 
moderately outside of the mainstream of society. We could deal with that for now. Or becoming increasingly marginalized, perhaps. But Christianity never explodes from the mainstream. If you read about church history and revivals, they always happen when Christianity is marginalized. And that's kind of normal Christianity. So as we find ourselves on the edge of social orthodoxy, on the wrong side of it, that's okay. Because God will do great things from that place. And it is an interesting time in our country, isn't it? We just had Christmas time a couple of months ago. That's a fun time to do my job. It's a fun time to do loads of carol services. It's a bad time when you go to Christmas parties. Because the second thing someone asks you after your name is, what do you do? I'm the head of mission and evangelism at the Evangelical Alliance. Social leper, straight away. Obviously, I'll find other ways to get into the conversation. But, but let's be realistic. It's a time when what we're seeing to be doing is seen to be hateful and all these other things that is so ironic because we're quite the opposite. And we're living in a time when Oxford Dictionary and Collins Dictionary take it in turns to do the word of the year. Last time Oxford did it, it was post-truth. And now that Collins have done it, it's fake news. Now, in both those cases, I'm not sure who comes up with this, because neither of those are a word. They're both two words. But also, my mum had one word growing up that sums up all four. Lying. We're living in a time when it's okay to lie. Fake news doesn't work. Post-truth doesn't work. Post-truth is the idea that your individual feelings are more important than objective facts. It doesn't work, does it? It's the idea, okay, right now, I am a Chinese woman who's four foot two, and I'm speaking in Prague. If you take post-truth to its logical end, that, that, that's okay, but it's nonsense. And what we've got to do in our culture is be prepared to be distinct from it. When Paul wrote to Rome and said, I am bound, I am eager, I am not ashamed of the gospel, he'd look like such a fool. Because Rome was the sort of ultimate in imperial power and pride. People would go on a pilgrimage to look at the creation of humanity. They've built Rome. Isn't this wonderful? Isn't this incredible? And there's Paul, this funny-looking fella. With bandy legs, a monobrow, strange bald patch, no great rhetorical gifts, writing a letter saying, I'm bound, I'm eager, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And 2,000 years on, Rome is in ruins and Jesus is alive. In your day, you may be seen as all kinds of things, but the truth of the gospel lives on and the cost is worth paying. My wife Anne does a bit with the Iranian church and this lady, Ladan, um, was around at our house for tea. Dan's 37. She's been in solitary confinement for her faith, never allowed to go back to Iran. When she was in Iran running a church, she went away preaching one Sunday and then went back to her church for lunch and they'd all been arrested, all 50 of them. So she rang her mum to say, my church has been arrested, so I better get a taxi to go to prison to be with them. Her mum tried her best to dissuade her, but Ladan's like, no, no, these are my people, I'm going. So she rings a taxi to take her to prison. In Iran, you share taxis, it's too expensive to have one on your own. So there's three other people in the taxi. She knows she's got 20 minutes left of her freedom. She might never come out again, but she's got 20 minutes. So she spends those 20 minutes in that taxi leading those three people to Jesus. Because there's no way she can't use that moment of freedom to share the gospel. Because the Jesus who lutroned himself for her, she is now going to do loss herself in return. She's going to enslave herself to the God who redeemed her with his blood. That's normal Christianity. The fact she got let out after 30 or 40 days, that's fine. But she thought, I'm never going to be free again. Therefore, I use this moment. We've got to raise the bar. I think as a church, we, we need to make the main thing the main thing again. We have a clear message. There's a huge cost. Get on with it. You know, um, when we come to faith, I'll say this to finish. When we come to faith in Jesus, we tend to sort of say, all right, Lord, um, I'll give it a go. Hopefully this works out and I'll follow you, Jesus. When we get married, we make much bigger promises than that. 
I uh, got married 18 years ago this summer. I was only six at the time. And um, got married 18 years ago. And my wife's amazing. She is. She's really amazing. I don't bring her to things like this. It's not fair on you guys because you get jealous. But you know, it's amazing. she's amazing. But I was nervous because by the grace of God, I was going to make promises that by his grace, I'd keep for the rest of my life. That's a big deal, isn't it? So I was really nervous, really anxious. I wanted to get married, but the promises were going to be difficult. So on my wedding day, I had two best men. One of them comes into my bedroom. He says, you're getting married today. I ran to the loo and I just vomited everywhere. I was so anxious. The other one comes in. He says, you're going to be with the same woman for the rest of your life. I ran to the loo and forgive me, all out the other end. I was in trouble on my wedding day. They turned it into a game. So they'd come in and say stuff just to make my body respond. Even strange things. I remember one of them saying, the only part of a woman that never changes is her eyes. And for some reason, I ran to the loo and everywhere. I was in so much trouble because I was so nervous. On the the day of my wedding day, before it all started, I was six, seven times and I had diarrhea six times. I was in real trouble because I was so nervous. Anne gets to the church and one of the best men has to tell her to go around the block again because I'm out the back being sick. And in, as she's going around the block again, she turns to her dad a bit tearfully and says, he's not, uh, oh, he's not coming, is he? Her dad said, with what I've paid, like you better add. And he went around the block. And by this point, I've had a chewing gum. I'm out the front of the church. She walks down the aisle. I'm thinking, well done, Calva. You've done well. And I stand in front of all the people that we know and love. And I make these ridiculously big promises to this woman. I stand there and I say, I am with you for better or worse, for richer or poorer, in sickness and in health. These are big promises. Then you have to say, all I am a gift to you and all I have a share with you. So at this moment, I think about all the things I've not yet bought that I won't be buying. Because <laughs> the finance committee has one member on it, not including me. And I feel myself about to do something I don't do very often. I only tend to do it when England lose a penalty shootout. I feel myself about to cry. So instead of saying, all I am a gift to you, it comes out like this with my wobbly lip. So I bite my lip to stop it wobbling. But then I feel something coming down my chin. It made my lip bleed. So I take the Moss Bros jacket cuff that someone else will have next week, and I wipe it off, and I say to this woman in front of the people we know and love, the promises from the depth of who I am that by his grace I will keep. I think in our landscape we live in now, It's time for a few Christians to make those promises to Jesus. Take the terms and conditions off. All your eggs in one basket. Lord Jesus, I'm with you for better or worse. For richer or poorer. In my case, for poorer or poorer. In sickness and in health. All I am I give back to you. All I have I share with you. To death brings me home to live with you. You see, it's also 18 years since I finished at Bible college. The amount of my friends that just fallen out of love with Jesus. Just, just let that fire go out. Just not really kept the main thing the main thing. Not kept focused on this God who lutroned himself for us, that we in turn would do loss ourselves for him. To do loss ourselves for him means to, to say we're all in. All eggs in one basket, no messing around. Right now, no one knows what's going on in the UK. We'll talk much more about this tonight. No one knows what's going on in the UK. But we do know the end of the story. Jesus wins. And therefore, we must live differently in the middle. Being prepared to say, we're all in. We're all in. Because I believe in my lifetime, there's a major move of God coming to the UK. I really do. 
I believe the United Kingdom is going to be turned inside out, upside down and back to front for Jesus. I only have one disclaimer. I believe that's coming in my life or I'm dying believing it's coming the next day. But I really believe that the Lord's got some massive plans for this nation. But it will not come by a bunch of us missing the point as James and John do and say, look at me, Jesus. You must be so proud. You must be so glad you've got me on your team. But instead saying, thank you, Jesus, for what you've done in me. Make it fresh. And in return, I say, I take the cost. I follow you. I'm all in. Let's take a moment, shall we? I wonder if you'd all just close your eyes for a moment. Everyone's eyes are shut. No one's watching. But just as a first off, if anyone here does not know the Lord Jesus as their personal Lord and Saviour, you don't know what it is to be a follower of Jesus, or you're not sure if you've ever been a Christian, if you're not sure you've never been a Christian, <laughs> maybe this morning's a moment to surrender your life to Jesus. But equally, as I was driving here, I just had a sense there's a few people that have just drifted from the Lord. You're just a bit distant from the Lord. And when I worked with young people, we called it recommitments. But frankly, it's just a decision to say, Lord, I'm not where I need to be with you. I want to reestablish my relationship with you. I want my prayer life to become active again, my Bible reading to open up. I don't doubt that you're real, Lord. I'm just so distant from you. I need to recommit and, and realign myself with you. If either of those of you, whether you want to surrender your life to Jesus for the first time or to recommit because you've gone distant, could you just put your hand up so if I'm praying for anyone in this moment? That would just be great. It's wonderful. Keep those up high. Can you just keep it up if it's a first time? So I know if I'm praying, a, if it's a first time decision to follow Jesus. You've never decided to follow Jesus before. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Lord Jesus, I thank you for those folks for whom today has been a really significant moment. And I pray, Lord, that the next 24, 48, 72 hours, it would feel as significant going forward as it does right now. Pray, Lord, you would walk closely. I pray, Lord, that you would be alongside them. And I pray, Lord, for those for whom this might be a first-time decision. I pray, Lord, that it would last. I pray it would be an amazing decision. I pray that following you would be transformative. For those who have needed to recommit, Lord, I pray that uh, their walk with you would come alive in a new way. I ask, Lord, that you would move powerfully in and through them. And I pray, Lord, that you would be glorified in their life. And I don't know how we do it here. I might need Phil or someone else to help in a while. But, but if you did respond to that, I'd love someone to pray for you before you go home. Not necessarily right now, but we'd love someone to pray with you. Especially for those two or three who thought, particularly this might be a first time, and for the four or five for whom you were just distant. It would just be great. It's a real privilege for another Christian to pray with you. It's a real privilege. And it'd be really great for someone from within this church to pray with you too, because... I'm not here next week. Well, not that I know of yet. But secondly, I just wonder if there's a challenge to some of us to go a bit more all in with Jesus. And in a moment, and I'm going to make this difficult because it should be difficult because we could all respond and say, yeah, yeah, yeah. But actually, we need to think about this. But in a moment, I'm going to lead those for whom they think this is them today in a prayer of declaration to Jesus around some of those wedding vows, saying to the Lord, Lord, you've, just got, you've got us, for better or worse, and for richer and poorer, and for sickness and in health. Because too often in the West, we're taught, we're taught to be consumers, so if we're not getting what we want, then we can't give. But actually with the Lord, he's already done more than enough. And I just see what the Lord did with his youth group that changed the world. And even then, there was only a 75% success rate, by the way. One denied him, one doubted him, one betrayed him. But when you see what the disciples did in changing the world, what could a bunch of us, with no terms and conditions, all in, regardless of what the world throws at us, what could we do in a place like Skipton? Because you know what? Revival doesn't come to capital cities. I've moved to the wrong place. 
If you live in London, you can join in after a while, but you can't start it. Revival starts somewhere else in a nation and then transform a nation. Why not somewhere like this? But it starts in some of us saying, I take off the terms and conditions, I'm all in. You may have said this before, you may not have done, but, but, but Lord, I am all in. I take off the conditions, I take off the terms. Till death takes me home to be with you, I am yours. I am grateful once more this morning that you lutroned yourself for me. But in return, I do lost myself to you. If that's you and you're able, I just encourage you to stand before we pray in a moment. going to pray in a moment but just uh, just have a sense in my spirit that the Lord wants to remind just a couple of you that maybe didn't stand but you kind of thought you should that this isn't about what you can or cannot do it's about what he's already done for you and you saying that therefore for the rest of your life you don't put any terms and conditions on your devotion to him you want to follow him with all you have and to go all in so if you didn't stand because you didn't think you were good enough that's a lie from the evil one. And I just sense there are one or two folks for whom that, that was going on. And if that was you, then don't let the evil one's lies win. Just, just stand with the other standing. No one will notice you're standing at this point. But so that am I. No, uh, we're going to pray a prayer of two halves. In fact, we're not. We're going to pray a prayer in three parts. <laughs> it doesn't have to be a football analogy. Firstly, I'm going to pray a prayer making some of those promises to Jesus. And if you stood, I'd love you just to repeat those after me. And you know, you go to a wedding and someone says something under their breath, you're like, ah, don't, oh yeah, they don't even mean it. But when they give it some, you're like, yeah, fair play good for us to show the Lord that we really mean it today. Then I'm going to pray to God to bless that. Then I'm going to ask my friend and your leader, Lisa, to join me to pray a bit of a commissioning prayer of you because I'm not here next week. This is the moment for you as a church. It's not, it's, I love anything the Lord does in his kingdom but this is a moment for you as a church as well. So, 
We'll start. Lord Jesus, I'm with you for better or worse. Lord, you've got me for richer or poorer. All I am, Lord, I give back to you. And all I have, I share with you. Till death brings me home. To live with you forever. Amen. Lord, I just pray that promises made in a Baptist church here in Skipton would last for a lifetime. I pray, Lord, you would help us in those moments when tragedy strikes or things go wrong and things happen that we just don't know what to do with. I pray, Lord, we'd cling on to you, not push you away. I also pray, Lord, when life is so brilliant that we foolishly put it down to ourselves, I hope, Lord, we'd connect with you powerfully there too. I pray, Lord Jesus, that this church would be a dangerous church for your kingdom, where many come to know you, where others are released for your purposes, and where you are made known in the wider community. I pray, Lord, that the people of Skipton would be grateful we're here. And I ask, Lord, you would use us powerfully for your glory. Lord, we thank you that this morning we have seen people come to know you, people recommit to you, and people say that they're up for this for life. This is an exciting morning, Lord. But it means nothing if it doesn't lead to something. We thank you once more that you gave yourself as a ransom for us. But we pray, Lord, that you would take our lives and use what we give in return. That many more would call you king. Amen. Lord, we thank you that we get to serve you and lead this congregation. We thank you that it's the most immense privilege We thank you for an amazing team of hugely gifted individuals who are prepared to lay down their lives and get on with the task for the sake of your kingdom. Thank you for a brilliant bunch of volunteers who just Mm. get stuck in and who do the tasks that need doing and who so often never complain just every single week. I thank you, Lord, for the amazing um, bunch of people that you've put together in this place for the sake of your gospel. And Lord, we commission ourselves again before you today. Lord, we say again, yes to you. Yes to everything that you've called us to. Yes to every door that you open for us. Yes to every ministry that you ask us to get involved in. Yes to every person that you bring through our doors or just who comes into contact with us. Lord, we just simply want to say yes to you and Lord we pray that you would renew our confidence and our boldness our willingness to lay down ourselves to pay the cost uh, Lord and fill us again with just joy and wonder at all that you have done for us Lord we pray that in this place you would bring even more people to know you for the first time we thank you for the amazing stories of people who've encountered you for the joy that that's meant for all of us and we pray more Lord more of your kingdom more of your Holy Spirit working amongst us more of the gospel impacting our town and the wider villages for your glory we pray Amen. Amen